podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bécher, meaning digger. Hello Cricket Badgers everywhere, welcome along to another edition of the Cricket Badger podcast. It's James here, taking you through as always, and in these troubled times, sport isn't important but it still is. And the reason I'm continuing to do the Cricket Badger podcast is to just give a few of you out there a little bit of light relief every now and again. I spent the other night listening to the radio and went to bed feeling scared to death, to be honest, because this coronavirus situation is pretty damn serious. So just every now and again, you'll see a podcast appear. And hopefully you'll enjoy them and it'll make you just forget, even if it's just for a few moments, the troubles that we're all facing at the moment. And that's one of the things about this, isn't it? It's a great level up. Whether you are a multi-millionaire or whether you are at the very bottom of the ladder, this virus does not differentiate. Although sport isn't important, flipping it, we're going to miss it, I think, because everybody needs a little bit of something to look forward to. Everybody needs a little bit of an outlet or release. And for many of us, that's what sport gave us. So hopefully some podcasts like this will fill a little bit of that void as we go through the next few months i'd also like to say a massive and i mean huge thank you to the people that donated on the gofundme page that i set up the other day if you go on to gofundme and just put cricket badger podcast into the search you'll find it it's up to you whether you donate or not but my income has just completely disappeared and i want to keep running the cricket badger podcast and this is a potential way of sustaining them as we go through the next few weeks it's never been something that's made me massive amount of money it's been a labor of love and i've really enjoyed doing them so 116 episodes in i'd like to keep them going if i can thank you so much for the people that donated i tweeted this the other day but one of the donations was for quite a sizable chunk of money i thought i'd actually been dealing quite well with the situation of sport stopping and work stopping and everything grinding to a halt and then i saw the donation for 100 pounds coming into the gofundme page and i literally just burst into tears it was quite a poignant moment and i'm just pleased that in a little way the cricket badger podcast is well thought of by people out there and somebody that i've never met felt enough about it to dip into their pockets deep down into the pockets and, and donate like that so thank you so much it really is hugely appreciated and therefore this podcast is dedicated to james anita jason robert dj laney mark ben dan andrea richard claire and tony thank you for your support of the cricket badger podcast really 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 do mean that if you would like to donate it's entirely up to you obviously i'm only a very small speck in this situation and i don't really matter <laughs> to be honest there's far more important things than me but if you do enjoy the cricket badger podcast and you'd like to hear more of them as we go through the next few weeks and you would like to donate doesn't matter how much then just go into the gofundme dot com and just search for cricket badger podcast and you'll find the donation page there 
Anyway, enough of begging, and it does feel like begging, and I'm, I'm really sorry that it's kind of got to that stage, really. Well, let's get back to the cricket. Let's get back to what the Cricket Badger podcast is all about, and that is talking to some great guests and discussing the sport that we love. A really good guest on this edition, it's Nick Compton, the former England Somerset Middlesex batsman. I've been watching his Facebook and Instagram pages over the last few weeks. He's been out in Africa. He's taken up photography and some really, really really fine photos that Nick's taken out there. I say taken up, he's been doing it for a while, but he's, he's really taking it seriously now and he's very good at it. He's well worth checking out his Instagram page. And I intended this chat really to talk to Nick about his transition from playing to retirement and how he felt that current county players might be struggling at this time with not quite knowing when the starting line is to the county season. But we talk about that, but we also got quite off that topic and talked about mental health. And I didn't actually know that Nick had suffered from mental health problems since the age of 13. I'm always massively appreciated for anybody that opens up and talks about that subject. Anybody that's listened to previous podcasts know that you know, I've had issues in the past and we've had the likes of Graham Fowler, etc. on this podcast talking about that kind of thing. And I think the more people that talk about it, the better. Very pertinent at this time as well, because with everybody being far more removed from social situations, mental health side of things takes some managing. We do talk about good things too, and it's been a pleasure to have him back on the podcast again. If you go through the back catalogue, if you I mean, everybody's got a load of time at the moment. You can go through the back catalogue and find the 20 questions and features and interviews I've done with players in the past and you'll find that there is one previously where Nick took on the 20 questions and that interview was done when he was still playing we talked about his potential retirement from the game he was in South Africa when I spoke to him he'd just come back from Namibia and was slightly worried about how he was going to maybe get back to these shores so wish him well with that but on this edition of the Cricket Badger podcast great pleasure to welcome back Nick Compton it's that Badger style Pleasure on this week's Cricket Badger podcast to welcome back Nick Compton. And Nick, I've been following your travels this winter, photographs coming through on Instagram and on Facebook and what have you. You've been to some fantastic places and, and taken some pretty decent photographs as well. Yeah, I've been pretty fortunate. I think since I retired, I've had some some time to you know gather some thoughts and mainly use the opportunities to to go to some places, some far removed places, to you know work on on pretty much what I want to do next. I think photography has always been a huge passion. There's no doubt about that. I think I grew up with a dad who took me to many game reserves and was very involved with nature conservation growing up. So you know I was fortunate to go to some great parts of Africa and South Africa um, as a youngster and I always took my camera on tour whether it be with the county or, or even internationally and I always thought it was a great way to get out and about and actually see the the places that you were staying and try to find some of the more interesting parts of of, of being a traveler or of being a cricketer we're of course you know incredibly fortunate to to go to some amazing countries and the the last photographs I've seen that you've been taking were from Namibia weren't they and you, you had a whole series um, I think it was on your Instagram I'm not, I'm not sure but the a, a fantastic array of photographs animals and trees and, and landscapes and then there were pictures somebody else had obviously been taking pictures of you taking the photograph you've been to some very very nice places yeah i'd have to say namibia in terms of diversity topography a very topography actually is definitely up there i've i've not quite seen the vastness it's stark um there's of course huge deserts the namib desert and of course the kalahari as well gets part of it so i mean in terms of a country to travel uh, i've not really been to a place like it i have to be honest with you i was absolutely blown away um, by the beauty 
um, and just the incredible landscapes. Uh, started off down on the place called the Sausage Flay, which is a, a big desert. They've got some of the biggest dunes in the world. Just the, the size of these, the enormity of these dunes, the, the different textures and colors. And I think that's always something that's, uh, you know, grabbed my eye, um, are the colors and textures of, of places. I think India is another one where you get those rich sunsets and, and sunrises and, of course, the, the earthy colors that come through. And it's, again, another fascinating place. And, of course, more cricket played in India than in Namibia. But, you know, I, I came home to see family um, over Christmas and um, I'm trying to work on a few injuries that I sustained through a long cricket career. So um, I had a good friend who, who was going to Namibia and I thought I'd join them. So it, it's been great to, to get out there and definitely one of the better countries. I was actually supposed to go to Botswana, but that got cancelled because of the, the virus, of course. Oh, you, you mentioned the virus there. I mean, we're all on the verge of lockdown in the UK at the moment. So you've made me incredibly jealous looking at your pictures sitting in a... There's, there's a couple you had of sitting in a in, in, in a pool, kind of the landscape behind you. And I just kind of thought, well, yeah, that's that's fantastic. When I'm, I'm sat in my one-bedroom flat thinking about lockdown and you're swimming it off around the world. It's not exactly fair, is it? No, it's not. Mate, I actually felt bad. I sort of thought, I hope people don't think that this is kind of how it normally is. I mean, the irony, or sort of not say the irony, but it, it looks good for a while. But now I'm sort of have been stuck in Namibia for a while, and, the, and you start to worry that you know I might not be able to get home or you know get back to close loved ones, etc. Um, but I managed to get through the South African border today, even though I've been travelling on my British passport. So I was I was a bit twitchy for a for a second there because um, you know I have got dual nationality, but my South African passport was uh, still in the UK. So it was a bit twitchy, but I've managed to get through the border and in South Africa, and I might just spend some time with, with family um, before coming back to the UK. Uh, sounds, sounds like a decent plan. Last time I spoke to you, Nick, we, uh, you did the, the Cricket Badger 20 questions, and towards the end of that conversation, we were talking about you retiring from cricket because you were playing at the time, and you mentioned travel, you mentioned photography, so two ticks there. You're well on the way with doing uh, both of those activities, and you've also been, I've, I've noticed over the winter as well, you've been doing the, some work in the cricket media as well. Have you found that? Yeah, look, I think media is something I've I've always enjoyed. I mean, growing up again, dad was a wildlife TV presenter, again, in conservation. So quite used to um, the media side of things. Mum worked for the main newspaper, as did dad as well. So it's definitely something I grew up with. And, and of course, my uncle was the cricket writer for South African cricket. So... Yeah, I think when I played, you know, on days off or when I wasn't as busy, I always tried to get into the media doing various things throughout the years. I think it's got more difficult now. You know, there's a lot of people, A, wanting to do it, a lot of people that have perhaps, you know, achieved more than, than I have. And it's a competitive landscape. Um, it has to be said. I think it's uh, there are aspects of it which I really enjoy. I think the, the radio, the podcast side of it, and, of course, trying to do a bit more sort of TV presenting because I think there's a, a real skill in, in being a good presenter like the likes of Ian Ward and Gary Lineker and these kind of individuals who have done it for a long time. You know, you have to start somewhere and it's not all plain sailing, but it's definitely an area that I'd like to pursue and, and do more of. Um, but of course, that comes with opportunity and and you need to wait for that. And, and hopefully there'll be a few more coming up. But yeah, retirement's been tough. I have to be honest. I, I have found it really difficult. I probably didn't retire and finish the way that I would have liked or dreamt about. The England side of things probably didn't quite work out as I would have liked either. And 
I think dealing with that, dealing with the, the disappointment, um, and suddenly finding yourself, you know, in a place where life and cricket and etc. has moved on. And, you know, I, I have to say I, I really struggle to accept that because, you know, cricket's been everything to me. It's it's the reason why, you know, I followed my granddad's footsteps. You know, when I was 15, I came to England. Um, it was a country I desperately wanted to represent and, and play for. And, of course, there's been some highs and, and what have you. But I think, you know, coming out of it and suddenly finding yourself in a, in a no man's land sort of place and all your friends are potentially still playing and performing and it's hard to watch you know it's hard to see and you know I, I question myself whether I should still be playing but you know I think towards the end it, it sort of became really difficult both from an injury perspective and also mentally I think I'd you know really burnt myself out and you know was struggling with depression and anxiety and these are things that I've had to try and combat since. How is it when you when you're working in the media is, is, is it an easy watch cricket do you just half of you think oh, I wish I was still I wish I was still doing this myself. Yeah, I think so. I think you have an ideal of of when you're playing and, and when you're at your best. I mean, you know, those are some of the the glory days. You know, when you you can still feel that. And I think with me, I I struggled to get back there. And I felt the more I was pushing, the more I tried, the more. Um, I felt I was almost going backwards. And I think that was partly to do with, you know, some chronic injuries I had where it was almost like flogging a dead horse after a while. I think when the sort of lure of England leaves you, um, it did leave a, a pretty big hole in, in me because that, that was the pinnacle. That that was where I wanted to be. And I think because I let myself down in, in some ways and in, and in some areas, you know, I, I think it was hard to sort of get myself together again as much as I wanted to. I, I tried my hardest, but... You know, as I said, and as I've always said, that, you know, opening the batting or batting at number three or being in the top order is a very, very tough job. And it requires every bit of you. It, it requires every ounce of, you know, uh, resilience and fight. And I think sometimes when you keep going to the well, as often as I did, it, it does run dry eventually. And, you know, it becomes slim pickings. And, and then you find yourself getting disappointed and frustrated because perhaps your levels aren't as high as they had been. And, yeah, I think to sort of, get to the point it just became it became more and more difficult and now sort of watching and commentating it is tough um, it is tough to see others you know performing and achieving and you do sort of think gee I should still potentially do that and can I still be doing that I'm not that old and yeah but look these are questions that of course are, are always going to be going through anyone's mind you know I think people always question themselves and you know I'm trying to move on it is it is tough because replacing something like cricket's certainly not easy It's even more important at the moment, given my own precarious employment position with no sport to commentate or write about, I am looking for a Cricket Badger podcast sponsor. Please, please, please help out the podcast. Help me out and come on board with your business. I can get you in front of the cricket world. Plenty of people listening to podcasts at the moment with no live sport to descend upon with their eyes or their ears. So please, please, please help out the Cricket Badger podcast. Come on board. Contact me, cricketbadger at hotmail.com or contact me on the Twitter at cricket underscore badger. Your help would be hugely appreciated by the Cricket Badger listeners and we can help each other out in these troubled times. I'd imagine. I mean, obviously, I've never played Test cricket. I wish I had, but I never, I never did. When you're a young player, Nick, and you're coming up, you've got all of the ambitions, and you want to play international cricket. Once you've been there, and you obviously had two incarnations as, as a Test player, once you came out of that second one, was it hard to actually kind of come to terms with the fact that you, all of that was behind you now, and you were kind of on the exit route, really, from your career? Yeah, very much so. I didn't want to let go, and I think when I 
played against Sri Lanka and played poorly. I kind of felt even during that series that I just wasn't in a great place. And, you know, why, what, when, who, I suppose is irrelevant now um, and was probably irrelevant at the time. It just didn't work out. Um, you know, I, I wasn't even half the player that, you know, I knew I could be. Um, and again, the reasons why, you know, uh, only I kind of know that and I suppose close family, friends, etc. But it, it, it was tough to deal with. I think just the reality of, you know, this is this is the reality and your dreams and, and hopes sort of going up in flames pretty quickly and then having to come back to the fact that, you know, you are on the sort of downward curve of a career. And it, it was exactly, it was hard to hold on, hard to keep trying to jump for the jump for the wall that you just couldn't get on top you know i sort of was i kept trying to climb up but it was just really really difficult and you know the game owns you know you know it owes you no sort of favors or anything it's you know there's younger players training as hard if not harder and the game doesn't get any easier you know you still got to refine your technique you know there's there's things that you have to keep a abreast of day in day out and i think if you lose that deep down motivation or that deep hunger and desire which for me were the the fulcrum was the fulcrum of, of my success, I think. You know, then then I felt it was a real uphill battle. You mentioned anxiety and, and depression, Nick, and I've, I've spoken about my own struggles on, on this podcast with, with both of those things. And when did they come into your life and how did that affect you? Yeah, I think they've sort of become quite sort of often talked about difficulties that people are going through. And I think it's great that more and more sportsmen and people are, are feeling more comfortable that they can talk about it. I think at the time I didn't feel comfortable um, about speaking about it. It's something that I've, I've struggled with since I was a young kid, um, funnily enough, and managed to get through, you know, sort of 85% of a career without it, you know, impacting, when I say impacting me, it impacted me the whole way through. Uh, you know, I've, I've been on antidepressants since I was 13, 14, and um, it's something you know, in terms of the anxiety, leaving home at 15 and, you know, I had huge homesick problems at boarding school in England and, um, you know, real anxiety issues, which, you know, not many people would understand um, unless they were potentially there or or saw them at first hand. And I think those, again, that are close have, have seen that. But it was always something I try to manage, you know, and perhaps the way that I had to manage it always made me from a personality point of view, always made me a little bit indifferent. You know, I, I struggled with the balance of being a sort of a good teammate and being a, a sort of friendly, outgoing person, but then also at the same time having to pull a performance out day in, day out. I found that balance very, very tough. Um, of course, for me, success and, and performance was paramount to, to my happiness. I, I wish it wasn't, but I, it meant so much to me. And I think the, the depression, anxiety is something that, that I sort of probably got worse and worse towards the last stages of my career. And, and I, I found it incredibly hard to manage I, in, in many much, so, so much of the way of not really understanding why I felt that way or, or what was actually going on. And I think at, at some point you have to sort of hold your hands up and accept that perhaps things aren't as they ought to be or, or could be. And again, that was hard to accept, um, you know, very hard to accept because, you know, you don't accept failure, you don't accept, you know, ill health or ill performance, you know, when you're striving as, a, as an athlete trying to, to play your best. I'd imagine as well that, you know, from the outside, somebody looking in, I mean, as I have done with you throughout your career, you, know, you look successful, you look as if everything should be rosy in, in the garden. So the kind of the outside image and the what's happening inside conflict a bit, don't they? Yeah, I thought, again, and that was probably the thing I found the most difficult. I think a lot of people saw, you know, Dennis Compton's grandson 
privileged over in the UK, you know, had a stand named after his grandson, you know, um, a bit of blonde hair from South Africa, perhaps. And, you know, you arrive in the UK and, and you've got, you know, all these dreams. And I wore my heart in my sleeve a little bit, which didn't always help me. But I think at the same time, you know, people saw a, a certain image of me. But I have to, the only answer I could give to that is there was a very different projection going on inside. And, you know, I think I struggled with perhaps the not the misunderstanding at times, well, potentially the misunderstanding at times and also the perception of me rather than, than, the, than the reality. And, you know, I, I think that was just the hardest thing to manage because, you know, so much about being a performer is about putting on an act, um, is about, you know, putting on your best self every time you walk out to bat. One, because you want to give yourself the best opportunity, but two, you know, there's a lot more to be said for body language and for confidence. And, you know, you're not always going to feel it inside, but you have to find ways of coping, finding ways of, you know, balancing and coping with those extra emotions. And, you know, we all have our own idiosyncrasies and our own ways of doing it. And I think sometimes my way of, of getting a performance you know, perhaps to, to some teammates or to people on the outside, perhaps came across in a, in a more intense manner or in a way that, you know, perhaps was quite hard to identify with, you know, whereas you look at the likes of Joe Root and Ben Stokes, they look probably a lot more playful and a lot more happy-go-lucky as individuals. But, you know, I, I often looked at them and thought, gee, I'd love to be like that. But for my personality and, and, and also for the person that I was on the field and the sort of job that I did, the two didn't really go together. I felt, you know, almost if I came in happy-go-lucky and bouncing around the change room, that I almost had zero opportunity of scoring runs that day. I had to come in very focused, very calm, and really see the day as a, I've got to do my job, you know? And yeah, I think, you know, you navigate your way through a career trying to find that equilibrium and that balance. And, you know, I probably got closest to it at Somerset. Um, I think my role definition down there was probably the best it had ever been. And, you know, probably the most comfortable I'd been in my own skin as a player. Was that because I was away from Middlesex and, and, the, and, and the name and the surname? Perhaps. Um, but I also think that I went into an environment which required or needed my skills. And they allowed me to, to play that way and gave me a very sort of, um, you know, gave me a direction that was something that I went fine. I can do this and I'm going to do this well. And uh, it suited my cricket and, and, you know, obviously helped me to get into to England colours. Something you mentioned in that answer was uh, reminding me of the last po podcast I did with Simon Hartley, a psychologist uh, based up in Yorkshire. And our conversation was around how are people going to cope with without sport over the next few months? And Simon basically said that we, we started talking about identity. And uh, as a sportsman, a lot of sportsmen, or anybody in any walk of life you are your job aren't you and he said you know you need to have other things outside of your job to keep yourself occupied so if your job suddenly ceases up you've still got things to fulfill your life and the way you you described that at the start of that answer that you were kind of saying you know what, what am i other than a cricketer really weren't you mm. I, I think to answer that i worked with a a mentor most of my career and i think the the premise behind building my career was to to always look at you know whether i scored naught or a hundred on any given day it didn't change who i was you know and who i was was based around you know what was my respect my humility you know my relationships with other people you know um a load of other factors which whether you score again uh, whether you take wickets or score runs shouldn't alter you know the the very premise of of who i am but unfortunately Unfortunately, that was easier said than done. I, I've, I had my performance very wrapped up in, in who I was as a person and, and what I felt about myself. If I wasn't playing well, I was I was unhappy. And 
I tried to change that. I, I felt as a person, I do have other interests. You know, I've always been somebody who's, who's shown that. I mean, whether the travel or photography or, you know, uh, art and, and other things, I've always tried to show a, a, a sort of, well, not show, but I've always had a, a, a bit more sort of, you know, a few things outside of the game, which I have enjoyed. But in, in saying that, unless I was performing, I, I felt less than I than I wanted to be or less than I could be. And that that was hard to balance. And I, I remember speaking to Justin Langer, the great Australian and current coach, and he, he once said to me, you know, Nick, mate, when I'm not scoring runs, I'm miserable. I've got a great family. I've got, you know, I think it's three one, wonderful kids. But he said, I'm absolutely miserable. And I remember that really making me feel normal. <laughs> I remember it like almost a sigh of relief going, gee, thank heavens for that. You know what I mean? I thought I was the only one kind of thing. And I think, unfortunately, that that is how it is. And I think in, ter- in terms of trying to find balance, I mean, you know, he also said, you know, if you want balance, mate, go and find balance. But if you want to be a great player, then there ain't no balance, you know. And I, and I kind of agreed with that. I, I think if you really, really wanted to get to the top of your game, there wasn't a huge amount of balance. And if, and if you had something else in your life, well, then you needed a business partner or someone else who was going to potentially start that other side. But I found it incredibly difficult to try and do something else because it was potentially taking 5%. And as you know, it, you know, at those sort of international heights, 5% is the difference between, you know, mm. a good score and a bad one. You know, that, that thin line of success and failure can be transparent almost. So, I never wanted to take my foot off the pedal, you know, do you get off the train and risk never getting on back on another one or do you just stay on the train and keep plowing forward? And, and that was always kind of a, a big question mark. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. The listenership is going up every single week. Thanks so much for your ears. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you for your likes, your subscribes. It's on every platform around the world. So make sure you listen. Tell your friends and contact the show too. Let us know what you think. Give us your ideas for future shows at cricket underscore badger on the Twitter feed. Cricketbadger at hotmail.com on the emails. Thank you so much, Badgers. Keep listening. You mentioned Justin Langer there. I don't know if you've had a chance with your travels to see the, the test that's on Amazon Prime at the moment that's about the Australian side from when Justin Langer took over as coach through to the end of the Ashes series. And it's a kind of fly-on-the-wall thing inside the dressing room. And he comes across brilliantly on it, absolutely infectious kind of cricket personality. And you can see why players respond to him as the coach. But there's no doubt about it. When when he was on a losing streak and, and if things weren't going quite so well in the job, he was as down as you get. You know, he, he wore his heart on his sleeve. So I don't think anything's changed from when he was a player to when he's been a coach. He was, yeah, def- definitely his mood changed with the results. Yeah, no, he, uh, he is somebody like that. And he was a huge influence on, on, on my career. Um, and one of the main reasons why I went down to Somerset. And, you know, I think as a, a young guy, or, you know, even a guy, sort of a youngish guy making his way, you, you know, you could not find a better role model and someone um, as a top order batter to, to look at. Um, he's tough. He's steely. He had a real, he has a real humility and respect for the game. And also, you know, has some other left, I wouldn't say left field, but sort of, you know, Buddhist foundations even that really made him someone that, you know, understood the mental side of the game as well as I've ever, you know, been able to speak to somebody about it. And, and I think being able to talk to him and feel his passion and the way he talks about the game is very infectious in the sense that he loves it. You know, he absolutely loves it. He loves cricket conversation. He loves, you know, learning from people, whether you're, you know, haven't achieved as much as he has, you'll still 
listen and, and try and learn and you know and and I found that you know as a young player you know I hung on every word he said and and you know I, I wanted to really grasp the, con- the the contents of what he was saying and you know I read a couple of his books and you know I just felt I could identify with them and you know we obviously batted in a similar position and you know he wasn't you know a gifted gifted player I mean I, I say that with a huge amount of respect of course he was hugely gifted but I mean in the sense that he had to work quite hard you know whereas you know the likes of Lara and Tendulkar things came a little bit easier for them they're probably in a slightly higher talent bracket but you know Langer I think made the most of his ability and was gritty and determined and, and I think it's as good a, a lesson for any young player um, you know if you want to really learn the art of batting and, and, and top order batting I think he's he's up there when you're watching him on that uh, that series uh, he's got very expressive eyes they're kind of glinty eyes and when he's yeah. talking about it they shine they absolutely shine when he's talking about cricket you can see it's almost like somebody switched a, a switch on inside him and the electricity's come on inside his body it's, uh, it is quite extraordinary how passionate he gets about the game well worth the watch by the way listeners if you want to watch that the test on Amazon Prime you sound to be in a really good place at the moment Nick and obviously we talked about the anxiety and the depression side of stuff and i know from my my own experience of it that the more you talk about it probably the easier it is to actually understand it and to cope with it and you sound as if you're in that place now yeah i think in some ways uh, you know I, I still think it takes time I, I think until i sort of find that next kind of career or, or purpose and i mean not in terms of the photography and travel of course i really enjoy that and if it is something i can turn into a you know more of a career a full-time career then great it's you know the t- two things i struggled with is of course I've, i grew up in south africa to a to an English family, but I've spent primary or, or main years of my life in, in the UK and applying my trade. And I think once cricket finishes, you, there's a part of you that does miss the family, the immediacy of, of family. And, you know, I've also had a great time in the UK and um, it's very much home. But it's tough because, you know, I, you know, you are applying this trade and you are playing full time and that's your goal. And now suddenly things maybe look a little bit differently. Um, I'd like to spend more time with family and just trying to work out where I can how I can make that work and, and what I'm going to do next, you know. Um, I'd like to really put full energy into something that I'm passionate about. And I think trying to find that is probably the next, um, you know, the the next thing for me. Um, but I think the, the photography, the travel, the opportunity to spend more time at home has definitely been a, a big contributor in, in, in kind of dealing with, you know, what was a 20-year career um, and trying to come to terms with perhaps some of the disappointments and perhaps the reality of, of things not quite working out at the end. And But at the same time, you know, always be grateful for, for what I did achieve. I think, you know, it, it was it's one of those, you know, where you had some good, you had some bad. And, you know, I think you've got to wait up and, and try and move on as best as you can. And uh, I think uh, that's kind of been my perspective on things. And, yeah, I guess you're, you're right. That's where I'm at the moment. When you finally get back to the UK, Nick, and hopefully you get back safe and sound and, and and speedily as, as you need to you'll realize everything is pretty much grinding to a halt in, in on these islands at the moment including the cricket and I, I just wanted to just finish off this chat by asking you i mean if, if you were still a player we both know that you know cricketers they prepare over the winter everything's kind of timed so that you kind of try and hit peak when you arrive at that first game so you're ready to start the season how hard do you think it would be as a as a player to suddenly find out that that starting line is is kind of moving you're not quite sure when that first game is going to be yeah, look, I don't think it's as hard as people would say. I think it's probably more frustrating more than anything. I think you've spent the whole winter preparing for another season. Most county players, international players are used to the 
the treadmill of of going through the different patterns. You know, I say patterns in terms of you know the season lasting so long and then having a bit of time off and then potentially going abroad and then getting back into a bit of batting and then coming to preseason and, and on it goes. And I think you know, we are in a unique situation. I, I suppose that could be said for everyone in, in any job or any walk of life. You know, it would be a frustrating one. Um, I'm not quite sure how things would work contractually. I think that would probably be on, if I'm being really blunt about things, on, on most of most players' minds in terms of how does it affect them, you know, are they in their last year of contract, you know? Um, how is that going to impact their future if, you know, if there's no cricket play, you know? Um, does their contract run out? Did they, they didn't get an opportunity to... So those are the anxieties and the worries that I think the players who are in question will be feeling. Um, those who are in long-term contracts or, you know, will be disappointed and, and will be uncertain but beyond that, I think it's it is what it is. I, I guess is an acceptance, and and the guys will be training, and and you know I, I don't know what counties are going to put in place in terms of keeping players you know there and keeping them ready, and are they going to train every day and just you know sort of be waiting in the background you know for the sort of pin to be sort of pulled and or, or sort of you know here we go guys we're back on you know so I think you know I think you spend a lifetime as a cricketer waiting anyway <laughs> I think. Um, <laughs> You know, waiting for that next innings or waiting for the rain break to end. This is just a sort of very long rain break in, in some ways, but it is frustrating. I'm a freelance journalist and all my work is finished, but in many ways I find it kind of easier to cope with this current setback because I know everybody else is in the same boat. And I, I would imagine that's the same as a, in a team sport, isn't it? If all the players and everybody's in the same kind of situation, it's not just you that's injured and sitting out the season. Everybody's affected the same way. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think you have to have that sort of philosophy or perspective. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, you're, you're paid to, to do, not do what you're told, but you're, you're under contract. And, you know, the, you know, I'm sure the ECB, well, I know the ECB are doing, I'm sure, everything they can behind the scenes to, to ensure that, you know, the right thing is done uh, as from a medical standpoint, but also, you know, I, I think the bigger question at large is sort of financially and, and then, you know, the, the bigger question about, you know, the, the fact that lots of small businesses and people around the world are, are really struggling. And I think that's the biggest issue. Um, whether a, a game of cricket gets played or not in the larger scheme of things is not that important. But, you know, what you don't want to see is people's livelihoods being affected. And, you know, that goes for cricketers as well, who, as I said, maybe on last years of their contract may have a lot more uncertainty than others. And you don't want to see people's careers end in, in that fashion and you know you want things to work out and you know I, I guess without being obvious about it let's just hope we can you know get to the point where yes we might have to take five or ten steps backwards but hopefully the sooner we do that the the, the quicker we can move forward i was thinking i had darren stevens on on the podcast a few weeks ago and yeah potentially with darren at his age every every season's potentially his last season they'd be uh an awful way for a player like you know who's had a long and distinguished career to, to finish without actually getting onto the onto the green stuff at all in his final summer, wouldn't it? You know, it's uh, it's got potential to be a, a very disappointing summer from a cricket perspective. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's it's never nice for any cricket, whether you're Darren, who's played you know 25 years, or what is he 50 now, almost 51, <laughs> I think. Um, <laughs> I played I played golf with him about a month ago actually, and he's still is he's an amazing character. I mean, his his zest for the game and and what he's achieved particularly at his age incredible but uh, yeah I mean yeah. look for him he has achieved a lot of, I think if you offered him the career he's had he would definitely take that but it, it, it goes into the same sort of category of, of wanting to end on your own terms and as I've realised you know quite often it's not 
that easy to do, you know, and you can, you know, very few have that opportunity to finish on their own terms. And, and let's hope it doesn't finish too many cricketers, you know, not on their own terms this season because it would be really upsetting not to see some cricket played this summer. But in a very, very cheesy link, I can say we can finish this Cricket Badger podcast on our own terms. Nick Compton, thank you very much for joining me. Pleasure, mate. Really, really good to speak. Have safe travels back to England. Hope the rest of your journey goes swimmingly and you can get back home. Yeah, I hope so too. Thanks a lot, mate. It's that Badger style. Thank you very much indeed then to Nick Compton for his time on the Cricket Badger podcast. Really good chat that. I think I enjoyed that talk with Nick and wish him again safe travels back from Africa. Plenty more podcasts just around the corner as well, Badgers. Stay tuned. We'll be talking to Mark Elam. We've got Dan Norcross coming on as well as we launch the hunt for the greatest cricketer of all time. I'm talking to Don Topley as well. He has very contrasting views on the 100 to meet. Probably going to be completely taken out of our hands by the coronavirus. But Donnie's coming on to debate those issues with me on a future edition of the podcast. And I'm also going to be joined by Thomas Below, the author of The Honorary Tyke, the story of Sachin Tendulkar's year at Yorkshire CCC. Plenty more besides too, so make sure you bookmark the podcast. If you could have a nice comment, that would be fantastic too. And subscribe as well, so you make sure you get notified when the next podcast is out. But plenty more, as I say, planned the podcast over the next few weeks to keep us all amused as we get through COVID-19. Hope you stay safe out there, look after each other, and make sure you join me next time. Until then, stay well and healthy, badges. Podcast Network.